Everyone, welcome to the Midweek Podcast presented by our friends at Yoshimir Racing. Uh, I'm joined today by Jeff Steber, who is the founder and creative director at Intense Cycles. Um, unless you've been uh, away from motocross and not paying attention, you have to know that there's been a big surge in mountain biking participation and support in our sport, motocross. And I think, in fact, uh, you've got some uh, pretty pretty high-profile motocross people involved in the brand, right? Yeah, so first off, um, thanks for having me here. Yeah, of course. Um, Swap Moto, this is, um, I think it was about 2018 we did a podcast when we uh, first launched the Taser. Yeah, I think 18 um, or 19, e-bike. I think, yeah. Yeah, and we did, we did some rides together and stuff um, on some of the, even the early prototypes. Yeah. Kind of got you out there. Um, yeah, checking I got it to out. ride the Taser that had the... Uh, Prototype stickers. There were still, um, I know for sure that um, they were first article carbon bikes and even some of the early alloy prototypes that I mm-hmm. built. Yeah, so that was a, a, a long project. But um, yeah, you got a foot in the door kind of at the beginning of that one, which was, <laughs> um, which was fun because it's always interesting to get um, feedback and that sort of thing from the media guys. And then there's that um, crossover audience that you're talking about. Yeah of uh power sports and moto people that um, ride mountain bikes mm-hmm. and there's there's some statistics that show that there's actually um a higher percentage of people who ride motocross or or uh, power sports that converge into mountain bikes than the other way around really yeah then okay. the kind of pedal pure pedal crowd <coughs> going into um power sports and and moto so um it's definitely been in a like a direction of ours to um to kind of filtrate that channel a little more and even going back to the early days of intense and probably a bit of it was proximity being Mm -hmm. here and at the time it was the the 909 you know the inland empire and um just you know all the moto guys that lived out here and trained and all the test tracks within you know the 25 mile radius Mm -hmm. of where we were located at the time um actually here in lake elsinore um and a lot of those guys were starting to train more in different ways and they were cross training and cycling was one of those those ways and um a lot of the guys that um the early uh kind of uh moto guys that adopted to riding mountain bikes and intense jeff amig you know sean palmer mike metzger there's like a there's a lot of them, you yeah. know, and some of them were even um, on the original Intense Factory Racing mountain bike team. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, some exciting stuff there. So uh, was that what I was alluding to in the beginning, is, isn't Ryan Dungey involved in the company? Yeah, he has been um, from um, an investor level. Yeah. And um, early on, he was pretty active, um, you know, when he basically uh, retired from motocross and um, something that, you know, I, I just felt it was really neat that a lot of the, the, uh, you know, the people that ran, um, some of the, the teams he was on and from a management and ownership level really, uh, kind of worked with him, um, really closely for like his, uh, his next adventures in life, mm-hmm. you know, and he had a strong desire. It seemed like to, um, uh, to take a crack at business at different levels. So, yeah. Um, you know, uh, John Eric Burleson, Jeb, who works with yeah. us, and uh, Jeff Myshak, a lot of these guys really kind of took him under their wing a little bit. 
Um, and um, he has some business adventures, and Intense was one of those, so mm -hmm. and still is. So nice. Um, yeah, I can remember being, uh, you know, just looking at photos or stuff and seeing the Intense logo on Amex helmet, right? And back then, was it as much training as it was fun for Emig? Because like, I don't know, Emig and McGrath were like the last of the era of like the fun boys, right? Um, it was probably both, you know, and, and you know, G Jeff just has this spirit about him, you know, um, and he's curious and he likes to, you know, do a variety of different things beside moto. And, you know, uh, Jeremy and, and they're both geared very differently, right? Yeah. Um, and at the same time, they were really lucky to, um, to have that rivalry, you know, that they did at the time and that kind of magical time in motocross history. It's kind of like the Nicky Lada and uh, James Hunt story, you know. They had that rivalry was um, was really interesting. But but Jeff, um, he always approached it like with us when he'd go on rides. It was he was out there having fun, yeah. you know. And sometimes he'd show up actually on a more of a cross country ride on his downhill bike <laughs> with flat, sh you know, like Vans tennis shoes, flat pedals, and like a skateboard helmet. You yeah. know? So he, he just would kind of run what he brung, you know. Yeah. But it was like, okay, we're all chasing Jeff now down the trail, you know, and the guy's like, we're going, damn, he picks really good lines, you know, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So, you know, the moto guys were always just naturals on, on mountain bikes for sure. But um, and then later, I think when, you know, um, as uh, motocross and supercross evolved and training got more intensive and that mm -hmm. sort of thing, then you saw um, the guys training, you know, with specific training programs that included road bike yeah. and mountain biking. Yeah, that sort of thing. So uh, backing up quite a bit, like you founded the, the brand. Uh, what are your roots? Did, were you an old motocross guy and you decided to do mountain bike or? Uh, not really. Um, I was, I've always been more of a designer artist kind of craftsman. Uh -huh. um, and if, if I get into something, I always have to try and improve on it, make it better, put my spin on it. You know, whether that's, you know, I mean, I wanted to learn to play guitar, for example, and I was already building a guitar before I could actually probably play it, you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, windsurfing, hang gliding, you know, there's just been a, a slew of different things, cars. And then there was a, you know, a period where I got into motocross, but that was actually after more, um, and probably about the same time I was starting to build mountain bikes. And mm -hmm. a little bit of it was, um, you know, I was at the time I was living in the in Lake Elsinore and I worked for a company in Temecula called um, Upsports, UP, UP Sports. Mm -hmm. And they were probably the premier designing designer and builder of hang gliders in the in the world and they were based out of Temecula and so at that period of my life I was really into hang gliding and and originally that's what brought me to Lake Elsinore so if you know some of the history of Lake Elsinore and still to this day it was a huge hang gliding spot and then you know excellent flying year-round there was a big glider port you know mm -hmm. where the airport is now for sailplanes so it was a really good hub for that sort of thing and um, I had designed and built my own hang glider. Okay. And some of the guys at Ultralight Products had seen it. And um, I got hired there. Um, and so that's kind of why I was in the area in the first place. 
And um, along the way, we developed a line of uh, windsurfing, surf sailing products because we were kind of into wind sports, you know. Mm-hmm. So hang gliding and windsurfing were the things. And this was in the early, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. So um, when the wind wasn't blowing, we kind of discovered bicycles. And, you know, we're on the, like, really backed right up to the, um, the, or- the Ortegas here, mm-hmm. the, um, the wilderness area. Um, and so um, there was access to all these trails. And so, again, late 80s, early 90s, um, we were taking old clunkers and that sort of thing and putting fat tires and, you know, and fitting them up and, and riding these trails. And it, mountain biking was kind of in its infancy through the 80s and into the 90s. And then I started seeing some magazines, you know, covering mountain biking and it was kind of time for a change so um i go well you know what um at the same time um i was playing around with motocross a little bit and i go if we're riding off road we need suspension yeah know, front and rear so i really started investigating and, and then I, I made my own bike and it was a full suspension bike mm-hmm. got a lot of attention you know riding the local trails and you know about 1993 actually incorporated uh, <coughs> intense cycles officially okay you know uh the early days of mountain biking was super exciting because the suspension concepts were, it wasn't like, they were all over the place. Yeah. Like you look at a motocross bike, right. And most of them are close. Now that KTM has a linkage, everything's pretty similar. Back then it was radically different. Like there was. It's, and to your point, it still is today. There's a lot of different suspension platforms. And, and to your point, in motocross, it really settled down to, you know, one basic kind of a linkage system that works really well across mm-hmm. the board. Um, and, you know, the design perimeters are so different when you have an engine and the power that yeah. supplies and, and working um, around the suspension kinematics, that sort of thing. Um, and bicycles, you know, in the early days of full suspension bikes, they kind of got a pretty bad name for the purists because some of the designs were so bad that when you pedaled, you get a lot of um, shock, like uh, pedal-induced shock compression. So mm-hmm. it was actually kind of robbing the power that you're putting into the bike into the suspension when you're pedaling it. Um, you turn it downhill and it was fine, you know, but so it was... A little more um, involved kinematic design behind bicycles to get them to balance between the pedaling and you know the compliance forces and that sort of thing. And still to this day, you see a lot of different platforms out there. I will say it's come a long way to where the tried and true systems have settled down and what really works and what type of kinematics. And then within, just like in in power sports, there's different segments. So yeah. you're going to design the the performance per- perimeters of a cross-country bike because it's designed for a specific type of riding or purpose mm-hmm. very different from a full-on world cup caliber downhill bike yeah and then like a trail bike in the middle for example yeah so and, do you think the suspension concepts have you say settled down is there like a basic style that's accepted for cross-country one for like trail bikes and one for your own downhill I, I still think that's kind of wide open but you know if you really wanted to to narrow it down on for example on a cross-country bike you're going to optimize it for certain perimeters like it's got to be really lightweight you yeah. know so that eliminates a lot of linkages and things like that and simplify it's less travel you know and the the um, emphasis on pedaling performance so you design a system that really optimizes some of those sort of things mm-hmm. 
and then to the exact opposite on a downhill bike where you're racing against the clock and at much higher speeds and braking forces and on you know really uh, aggressive tracks um, very different again um, especially if you're um, in, at a racing and people who ride downhill are generally are probably in the racing or they ride bike parks for example yeah um, with lift access and that sort of thing so it is more of a gravity oriented sport so the design perimeters aren't really focused on pedaling uphill mm -hmm. so much and braking you know how how braking affects the suspension is way more important on a downhill bike for example and you know with the amount of travel those bikes have and things mm -hmm. for sure so uh before we start recording we're kind of talking about how uh i was going to question you and stuff and like i read mountain bike tests or watch mountain bike review videos and stuff and the style of testing and evaluation is much different like in motocross we talk about <clears throat> how the bike handles how the power comes on how it breaks you know corners stability you watch a mountain bike review or a test and they're talking about seat angle and the head angle <laughs> and blah 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 and i'm like I just see mathematical equations coming out of the computer screen. <laughs> I'm like, wow. But designing a, a frame and suspension for a mountain bike, did you start off just by having an idea and testing it on the trail? Or do you have like an engineering type background? Um, well, I'm not <clears throat> uh, officially an engineer, but um, I've always been one of those guys that is, um, you know, there's there's so much information out there. If, if um, we obviously use engineers in our company and um, a part of our R&D team, um, most of the guys on staff are degreed engineers, for example. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I always had going for me is I could visualize something, actually fabricate and build it, and, and then ride it also. Um, and the information was always there in the, in the early days before the internet and stuff, you know, you, there's books and, you know, like just, you know, it, the information is there to, to get. It's so much easier now with mm -hmm. obviously the internet and the amount of information available for anyone and, uh, you know, 3D design CAD software. <laughs> it's kind of crazy how it has evolved. But when I got started, it was pretty much a garage operation. Yeah, just mm -hmm. like hobbyist guy like trying stuff you know this and that and um have myself set up pretty good to where i could go out and try things if that didn't work i'd go and re you know fabricate a little different try this and actually go out and ride it and pretty soon i had other people riding the bikes and you know it was it was a kind of a snowballing effect yeah and there was a point where technology came in and got involved way more mm -hmm. you know um and to your point I think there is a lot, a lot more tech behind bikes these days than yeah. people realize. Um, and the things you're talking about, like uh, ergonomics, body positioning, and geometry, um, probably make a lot more difference from uh, the fact that it's a human-powered vehicle or a, or a power-assisted, like on an e-bike. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still. But just as important as with moto, those contact points are super important. Grips, you know, the pedals or the pegs, the saddle positioning, things like that. Yeah. And um, how it relates to how the bike handles, you know, that, that sort of thing. Uh, this day currently, 
how involved are you in conceptualizing the frame design, suspension, et cetera? Um, I'm like from day one, I'm hands on everything. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, still um, in our facility in um, Temecula, um, we have a pretty decked out fab lab. And so that's, that's like my office, yeah. you know, really. It's like, um, I'm in there every day, um, fabricating prototypes. I still do all that. Um, you know, it may start, um, as a, a concept and then on the computer screen, but we always build, even though the end result is a beautiful carbon fiber, um, frame set. We always start with alloy prototypes and test mules that, yeah. you know, sometimes, um, to vet out the, the geometries and suspension kinematics and even some of the ID work and stuff starts pretty early on. Um, but uh, that's a huge part of the process. And sometimes we nail it in one or two prototypes and sometimes it takes eight, you know, yeah. um, if, especially if the model that you're designing is replacing something that was hugely successful. And it's like, how do you improve on that? You mm -hmm. know, and what has changed in the market and the wants and needs of the customer that um, you can put some added benefit into the product or performance increases, that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, the undeniable trend in mountain biking is pedal assist. Uh, why do you think there's such a uh, resistance to it from the purists? And, and is that fading out? I think it's fading out, um, and it's it does open up the audience base quite a bit. Um, and as we get into the future of just transportation and mobility and micro mobility, I think the the e bike um, plays a big part in that, and people are starting to realize that. Mm -hmm. um, you probably know with yourself early on because you were a, a you're a cyclist. Um, before e-bikes came along. Mm -hmm. And so there's always that question and there's like the purists or the traditionalists like in any sport. As the sport evolves, some people just hang on to the past a little bit or they didn't experience it or had, didn't experience it properly. But in the early uh, days with Intense when we were investigating e-bikes and had prototypes and, you know, I felt that resistance. It was It was hard. Like I had to really push to get you know, the brand and um, even, you know, our core employees and stuff to, internal to internally <laughs> adopt it. Yeah. And it's like it took a year and a half or two before I could get someone to throw a leg over one of the prototypes. And finally, when I did, it's like, can I it's like, you know, it was all over. It's like, <laughs> hey, I need to take the prototype this weekend. That thing is so fun, you know. Yeah. And so when I take people out initially, I'd always go, you know, maybe go about 300 feet or, you know, 500 feet or so and then stop and make sure that everything's working. And I'd always look back and it's like everyone immediately would always have that big smile on their yeah. face, you know. Did you have like, anyone ride it and go, I hate this? I've never had a bad, like someone <laughs> just totally like go out on an e-bike or introduce them to an e-bike for the first time. And then just totally go like, this sucks. Yeah. You know, it's, I've never experienced that, honestly. So yeah. um, you know, the only guy I, I think I know that holds that stance is okay. So when I got my first uh, pedal assist bike, I was like, "Don't even send that to me," because uh, Sean Estes sent it to me for Specialized, and I had it in my garage for maybe a week before I rode it. <laughs> and then I rode it, and I was like, "Okay, this is pretty cool." 
but I took it to the Glen Helen uh, Motocross National just to help me get around the track to shoot photos. And Big E from mm -hmm. Yoshimura, he was like, what is that, man? <laughs> and I was so, it's cool. Check it out. He's like, it's cheating. That's cheating. And he got on and he rode it around. And uh, he was like, oh, my God, it's cheating. That's, that's so, so bad. And even to this day, he still rides a regular bike. I rode with him the other day. And he's all, no, no, we're riding regular bikes. So I'm like, okay, yeah. But he sees the market for it and understands it, but it's just yeah, funny. It's a, it's a huge emerging market, and it's, you know, we're, they're still feel like you're figuring it out with the plethora of products out there that, at, at different levels. You know, the class, we're talking about the class, class one, one, yeah. one um, e-bike, and, and it's kind of its more purest form. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that's definitely here to stay, and it serves a purpose. And, you know, part of, uh, I think, what you're talking about there is a person just has to decide, like, what do I want to do with the e-bike? What am I getting it for? You know, it's like it might be a, um, an older person or someone with, uh, you know, like a health issue mm -hmm. um, th that loves cycling. You know, and it's going to help them along. It may be making a family experience a little more equal because, you know, it does equal. If you're all on mountain bike, e-bikes, yeah, it equals yeah. it out. If you're on pedal bikes, you're all over the place a lot of times, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you have a little more diverse riding group you're with or even with families. But the e-bikes evens it out and it's a more of a unified experience, you know. And then you can you can ride that e-bike so that you get the best workout you've ever had if you want. Just yeah. don't put it in boost all the time, yeah. you know, yeah. and Part of the fun, um, the thing that really opened it up for me was in the early days of with prototypes and that was um, was the sense of adventure with an e-bike and it kind of um, that you know that kid in me came out again and I wanted I started riding places that I wouldn't probably on a pedal bike because oh my god I don't have time yeah. or it's a heinous amount of climbing yeah. you know involved to get to the the downhill portion of it which was still the funnest part of it probably but all of a sudden going uphill became really fun you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. and a whole new experience and those adventures like climbing that really steep heinous you know fire road to the top kind of thing and almost looking at it from a dual sport or adventure sport um, you know angle yeah. and so originally when I designed the taser um, you know the the batteries that were available through the main um, motor suppliers I should say or the e-drive systems were all external batteries and the internal integrated battery wasn't a thing yet but actually at that time I really liked that concept of it. So when we designed the taser, we made it so that that battery was easy to remove. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, a, it's under five pounds for that battery. Um, and I started carrying in my Camelback a spare one. Excellent. I remember that. And so it's like, in a, you know, the bike design evolves so that you could swap it out on the trail, like in a matter of seconds, you mm -hmm. know. And then you just doubled your range. Yeah. And you had that with you, you know, without a charge. And so, the, you know, the other part, of, the fun part about riding an e-bike, especially if you get into longer, like like what I'm talking about, kind of those adventure dual sport rides, is you've got to manage, it's battery yeah. management, yeah, you yeah. know. So um, you can use your display. It's got some features um, to to kind of monitor that. But also, you know, you got to know if you got like a 3,000-foot climb, and then um, you got a downhill, and then you got to climb out again. You want to conserve 
battery yeah. so that you have enough to, to climb out. Yeah. Otherwise, you're you know you're climbing with a 40, 50 pound bike, and it's no yeah. fun. So there is that aspect, but being able to bring that extra battery, boy, it opens it up. Or if you're at a, a, a ride center that has a car park area at the trail center and you're doing laps and you, your battery runs out, you can just grab, you have a couple extra charged up in the car and you just swap them out mm -hmm. and you keep going, you know. Um, it's not like you have to go take the bike and plug it in or, you know, and let it charge for three hours. It's, so there is different ways to look at it and how you ride a bike. You yeah, know? Absolutely. So there's different, and sometimes people don't figure that out, you know? Yeah. I think, I think uh, the first time we sat down and talked, I told you the thing that really won me over with, with that, with the e-bike was uh, my oldest brother is 17 years older than me, I think. And he's had a, uh, triple bypass and knee replacements by now and stuff mm -hmm. and we used to ride together back in the 90s and i got him out and we rode mountain bikes together because he's he rode the e-bike and right. i rode my regular bike and it was a thrill for me to have him back out there you know yeah and that's that's one of the you know it's a good thing for sure um and you know even from the mobility side of it and you're seeing more and more people adopting and through covid you know when people they were paranoid to ride buses and trains and taxis and stuff. <laughs> and a lot of people got e-bikes, you know, to cruise around town and to work and this sort of thing. Even the town of Temecula has put in an extensive series of uh, paved bike paths now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like 17-mile loop around the city and you can access any part. And um, just um, recently, uh, last year, they completed the one section off of Winchester that goes under all the freeways and the roads now. Yeah. And you can connect both sides. I mean, they put a lot into it, and it's very useful. I see a lot of people out there um, riding pedal bikes and e-bikes on those bike trails now. Mm -hmm. So it's becoming – cities are integrating it more and more into their uh, the transportation and, you know, getting around town kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing a lot of automotive, you know, brands and manufacturers – purchasing e-bike brands because it's part of their mobility system for the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at Peer Group is now Peer Mobility, and they've adapted it. I mean, they're smart, right? They're yeah. looking at the future yeah. um, in a big way. Yeah, what's happening, what's coming. Cool. Hey, Jeff, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Welcome back to the Midweek Podcast presented by Yoshimura. Once again, here with Jeff Steber of Intense Cycles. Um, hey, this is like kind of a personal question for me is like, what are your thoughts about, like, is a class two e-bike then? Like the Super 73s and stuff like that and more involved, the Surons. Well, the Suron and those, that's like a electric motorcycle. Yeah. Okay. So that's even in its own, you know, different class. And, you know, for riding off road, purely off road, it's like an off, off road electric motorcycle, you know, it's yeah. just the, you know, there's a few different models now, but it's just a small kind of scaled down. They're super fun, mm -hmm. but you know, people think that they're electric, they can ride them anywhere and on the streets and around. So I've seen guys on them on bike, the bike lanes, you know, yeah. around town and stuff. Um, so it, it is a little bit of a gray area. The, the class two stuff, 
you know, it, it's supposed to be regulated to uh, throttle and pedal assist up to 20 okay. miles an hour in the U.S. Different countries have different um, regulations on some of that. But, um, you know, it's electronic. It's like the, the, the programming can be modified and, yeah. you know, people have those that are, are, are boosted or overvolted or, you know, they just change the programming and it'll do 35 miles an hour, you mm -hmm. know, kind of thing. So it's kind of hard to regulate that. Um, and then that is a gray area because you do see those encroaching in areas where they probably shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. um, from an e-mobility standpoint, I think think that kind of product is great because yeah. it's you know it's keeping cars off the road and things but we're in this kind of transitional period yet with with that aspect of the e-mobility I would say that it it needs to get vetted out at some yeah. point for sure and then there's a class three which is a higher speed limit but pedal assist only you know so there's no pedal and throttle okay and um, you know for some people um, and Probably we see it more in the more commuter-centric products mm -hmm. that they have the throttle and the pedal assist. So it's probably more of an issue there, especially when people modify them to take them out of their regulated range, you know. Yeah. And you know that's going to happen. I mean, look, it, with anything. So, mm -hmm. um, and it is a bit hard to regulate. And I think there's a lot happening right now um, where cities are having to look at it a little more. I've, I've been to some towns that are real bike-friendly towns, mm -hmm. and it, it was a little annoying with the amount of people, especially touristy towns that love bikes, and there's a lot of bicycling access, and you have people zipping around on those sort of product, mm -hmm. and they're going way too fast in areas where there's people walking and hiking and yeah, and riding either class one e-bikes or pedal e you know pedal bikes yeah. and that sort of thing yeah the uh like ryan villapoto is a good friend of mine you know and he's he's got his i think it's called zero two mm -hmm. it's a, the super 73 type thing and he's very excited about that and everything and i'm like dude those kind of bikes are going to make the youth of america like really fat you know because <laughs> like i don't see kids riding bicycles around the neighborhood anymore they're all in those things zipping around but yeah, I mean, there's probably a lot of other influences in the world these days that are gonna, you know, like uh, influence the health of the next yeah, generations. Sure, sure, you know, sure. um, both physical and mental that we deal with, and probably a lot of us as parents, you know, see this happening and dealing with it compared to when we were kids. You mm -hmm. know, and um, so that's always gonna be a, th a thing. Um, but, you know, from the stand, standpoint of electric motorcycles, for example, and I think, um, you know, where the, where the future is going already with cars and, um, you know, there's the good and bad of that, too. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, the resources it takes to produce a battery and what do you do with it after it's dead and, you know, yeah. a lot of this sort of stuff. At the same time, it's like you got to kind of pick your poison, you know, the emissions from... Um, from combustion engines and that sort of thing versus, um, you know, um, electric vehicles and one way outweighs the other, but it's going, that's where it's going and yeah. with motorcycles too. And now, you know, all the, a lot of the youth racing is already switching over to, uh, is starting the kids so that mm -hmm. by the time, you know, in 10 years when maybe, I hate to say it, but who, who knows, but combustion engines are like out, 
completely, mm -hmm. even with two-wheeled vehicles, that they're already in gear with electric, you know, yeah. for that. And anyone who's ridden a good electric motocross bike knows it's like the the power on tap and everything there is pretty amazing, you know, yeah. and it still has a little ways to go. Um, motorcycles are already so efficient, you know, um, uh, that it's it's a probably a little tougher discussion than with cars. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially when you're trying to compete with like a thousand cc motorcycle with an electric version of that, you know, the mm -hmm. battery's got to be huge, it's heavy, you know, it's expensive still, but that's, that's going to change. You know, the, the battery technology is the constraint currently, but, yeah. but not for long because the, the, the new technology out there that's being developed in the next five years, we're going to see a, amazing advancements in, in um, battery and, and power storage, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. I mean, when for me, when I saw that space travel went to the private sector, it's like, okay, especially like SpaceX and stuff. I mean, it's like you don't do anything in the space without batteries and battery yeah. power and re rechargeable power sources and that sort of, sort of thing, solar power and all that. And so the technology that's being developed, like to go to Mars and that sort of thing, that will trickle down through private enterprise and that sort of stuff into the next generation of batteries that will be affordable. Mm -hmm. It's already there. You yeah. know, it's yeah. just it's not uh, affordable yet. To, to for the mass market product but that's going to make a huge change and that's mm -hmm. coming okay uh we'll run it back into the bicycle <laughs> is the taser your best-selling model now well with the within the e-bikes um well, but i mean quantity um you know i really don't know exactly right now um because we have such a diverse product offering mm -hmm. between pedal um, we also, um, a couple of years back, introduced the uh, 951 line. Yeah, um, series I was going to say, I love the way those things look. It's just, it's, a, it's more affordable because the paint job is less. Yeah, what, what 951 is, is it's a more accessible branding. Intensus is, it's pretty intense, right? It says intense <laughs> on the down tube, man. It's like, yeah. and, you know, really uh, race-inspired you know, a little more in your face, disruptive product, you know, strong ID, that sort of thing. And um, we saw an opportunity during, um, kind of during COVID, because a lot mm -hmm. of more people were getting out and getting into cycling, um, that the intense branding was probably a little bit strong, you know, um, and aggressive. So um, by bringing 951 into the picture, it was a, positioned as a more accessible brand, mm -hmm. you know, the, the colors, if you go on the website, you can even see it's just, it's just presented to a broader scope, broader audience. It also allows us to do some things in 951 that it, we probably brand-wise wouldn't make sense with intense, like a gravel bike or eventually road bikes or mm -hmm. things like that. Um, and then also some different ways to, different channels and different ways to market the bike that we would never do with intense. Yeah. Is, uh, is the 951 bike... Uh, is it, it's not completely different frames and everything, right? It's yeah, a lot of the platforms are shared. Yeah, um, and then it's just a simplified uh, like paint graphics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, spec is a it's a I would I mean I kind of look at it, and if you look at the pricing, um, it's a lot of bang for the buck. Yeah, um, 
there's a lot of premium brands that offer alloy frames with a similar um, component spec that actually costs more than our 951 models. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are f- seeing that and figuring it out. And it, it's, um, uh, it's actually allowing me now, once again, to kind of sharpen and tense a little more. Okay. Yeah. Um, and some of the new product that's in the pipeline now, I would say, you know, you're getting out to model year 24, 25, you're going to start seeing some pretty, I mean, I'm super excited about the, the future intense product and some new offerings that are going to come in 951 also. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, in the, in the next, you know, like even this year. Okay. But, uh, granted the, the product range has expanded that much with 951, but the taser has been hugely successful. Yeah, and there's a um, there's there's an alloy model coming. Yeah, um, I didn't know that, if I was able to talk about that. That's got some features, that sort of thing, um, and a little better price points um, also in- incorporated in there. And it's positioned a little different um, than the, the current carbon taser is. Um, and, it, you know, it's a different material, so a little diversification there. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, for a while there, high-end mountain bikes, you know, used to, they went from alloy to being carbon almost overnight. And um, I think there's a place again for, for alloy um, in premium and um, at different levels. And so we're yeah. bringing back some um, alloy models again, yeah. So this alloy taser, it's June? June, July? Um, in that time frame. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is different about it? I mean, I, obviously alloy, but it looks quite different. Um, well, if you put it side by side, it shares a lot of the same um, design and layout features and hardware and some of that sort of stuff with the, with the carbon model. Um, the biggest difference is that it uses a removable into battery. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little different battery system um, and kind of some updated. It's got like an on and off button, um, USB port like on the top tube, some things like that that are a little different. Um, the rear torque sensor is incorporated into the disc brake instead of mounted. The little magnet up goes on the wheel. Some of those sort of um, features of the e-drive systems that have just come out more recently are incorporated into it. Mm-hmm. Um, probably from a performance side, it's a little heavier, you know, um, than the the carbon taser. Um, one of the things that makes the carbon taser works so well is the positioning of the battery is really low and mm-hmm. kind of gives it a little bit of that that belly shape on there but it the battery it positions that extra weight which is about five pounds uh, center of gravity really low in the bike which gives it a really unique um, handling quality like the taser is probably one of the best handling bikes out there and the way the suspension works with mm-hmm. that um, when you get into these into batteries, they're pretty long and they're you know they're heavy and they're little. They have a little more watt hours to them, but a good portion of that battery ends up being up near the head tube also. Yeah. 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 So it does affect the way the bike handles and and that's that's important you know on performance bikes. I think some of those things, but um, you know the premium model, we're always kind of shooting for those um, extra little performance features. Mm-hmm. And not that the alloy model isn't, there's a pro model, um, you know, there's the Taser MX that is uh, distributed exclusively by uh, Parts, Parts Unlimited, Unlimited um, in a couple different, you know, pro expert models um, in carbon and alloy now. So, mm-hmm. so the Taser MX, uh, 
it's uh, exclusively available through Parts Unlimited, like motorcycle dealers, correct? Yeah, and um, that was an interesting opportunity. Um, you know, and again, we work, Intense works really closely with um, a lot of like ex-power sports people. You know, they, yeah. they still are, but they're passionate bike people also um, in our management team um, and um, part of our shareholders, that sort of thing. So uh, the, uh, the whole idea of Parts Unlimited kind of came along with, and, and honestly, from their side, it was kind of genius because they're seeing the future. And, you know, they supply parts and accessories to, you know, they're probably the biggest or yeah. one of the biggest in the world um, to all these power sports dealers. And it's going to happen, like we were talking earlier, that... Um, you know, internal ice engine, you know, powered vehicles are going to go away and it's going to be electric. So the e-bike is a natural kind of foot in the door, you know, toe in the water kind of mm -hmm. to get, you know, people thinking about the future and into the electrification of two wheels. And for Parts Unlimited, like I said, they were very forward thinking and kind of genius to, to, to adapt that early on. They have a, you know, if you've ever been in a, a power sports dealer and see the the parts unlimited catalogs, oh, you know, gosh. it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's um, clothing, there's tires, there's uh, off-road, there's on, you know, it's just, and yeah, now they have a um, an e-bike um, catalog. It's about, probably about 250 pages already. So, really? so it's not just the, the taser and all the accessories and, you know, replacement parts and everything goes along. It's, it's got, you know, um, all the other um, e-bike and bicycle brands like software, you know, soft goods, um, accessories, um, you name it, that are bike specific now. I mean, that's what they do, right? Yeah. And um, they've done a pretty cool, uh, like a really great job of it. Yeah. And for us, um, we already had a pretty strong, like, you know, back to the beginning of our conversation here. We always had a pretty strong power sports connection with the intense branding and name from early on. So it was kind of a natural progression that intense could easily go into the power sports channel also. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a big, you know, it's a, I would say it's a bigger um, channel than, than even the pedal crowd, you know, and especially if you look at it globally. So it is a different, um, you know, with, within cycling, for example, um, pure cycling, you know, it's like if you have the pie, everyone's the brands are all, there's a lot of brands and they're all competing for a little piece of that pie. So we took this approach where it's like, well, instead of, again, trying to get that little slice, we're going to reshape the pie. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some different channel opportunities. Um, and Power Sports is one of them. And, you know, um, probably one of the other brands out there that has done a really good job of getting into the Power Sports channel has been Specialized, for mm -hmm. example. And, um, you know, and we've embraced that also. Um, and it's, it's um, really, uh, it's brought some other interesting aspects because the Power Sports customer is so different than the pure pedal customer. So mm -hmm. when you're designing products, there are some challenges involved to make it work for both or yeah. you make one specific. And sometimes you can address that just by um, a different spec and the way the bike is assembled and things like that, mm -hmm. um, where it would share the same chassis, but it's presented completely different. 
to yeah they're they're very different wants and needs from the pure power sports customer versus the pedal customer. yeah um uh when the when the geico honda team was still around and uh all the all the racers were on intense bikes training and everything i remember uh i heard it i don't know if it came from from my shack or maybe from you but the guys were on the trail bikes they weren't allowed to get the sniper because they all ride too hard and it was like uh well i know one guy in particular um they all like they get out on the mountain bike and they go hard and i know chase uh, oh yeah like he he jacked himself up pretty good on um yeah on the mountain bike a couple times yeah at skyline i know exactly where he felt but i remember when the intense thing happened i went riding with him and he was on a a tracer i think and i was like oh wow no no sniper he goes they want me on one with suspension because it's safer (laughs) well the 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 sniper was kind of a choice because it's a little you know it's more of an it's a full suspension bike but it's aimed at the cross-country market so it's super light but with really aggressive geometry so It's a super capable bike, but um, those guys always going for like the performance and depending on how they ride it. Now that said, I would say they probably were riding it over their in con- trails and conditions that yeah, were not yeah. XC oriented. So yeah, and they might get themselves in a little trouble. But um, but that said, yeah, there's a lot of um, I mean, all those guys were are excellent cyclists, you know, mm-hmm. um, also. And um, especially to see, you know, Chase's success and continued success from those early, early years. And he's one of those guys that just had that determination and drive and, you know, the rest is history kind of thing. And he's, um, you know, he's learning still. So you yeah. see that every weekend, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, what is the, what did you say, that, would you say the future of Intenses? Which direction are you guys going? One more towards pedal assist, or are you staying well? I think within the in the the market and in, in in its place, it's it's a pretty even balance these days. Yeah, you got to kind of cover both angles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, if you're like a more, if you start getting into the other segments of e-bikes, that there's brands that just make commuter bikes, for example, yeah. or cargo bikes. It's like it's really getting, um, you know, broken out into uh, a, a lot of different opportunities. But as intense, we're going to keep our focus, you know, on like the, the it's a premium brand mm-hmm. on kind of the, the, the core focus. So we'll, I could see e-bike and pedal bike being 50-50. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And we'll continue to develop products in both. And, you know, um, there might be a few more uh, segments in pedal. But as far as intense, you know, our product layout is is a little simpler currently. You know, it's like you have your trail segment right in the middle for Mm e-trail. You have the e-enduro. It's a little more travel, bigger, you know, more aggressive geometries. And then you have an EXC or SL category. That's a very, almost looks like a conventional bike and um, less power and less battery kind of thing, less assist. Mm -hmm. So if you broke it down into three, you know, whereas in pedal, you have a probably to to have a full offering, you have a minimum of five, maybe seven segments that you're dealing with. Yeah. What do you spend most of your time on personally? Um, These days, both. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. both. And um, like this week, um, as I was mentioning earlier, I'm actually um, fabricating the first batch of um, downhill frames for the Intense Factory Racing Team. Mm-hmm. So um, Aaron Gwynn, Dakota Norton, Joe Breeden, Seth Sherlock. Um, those guys, um, you know, their first actual um, race bikes that they will be um, hitting the World Cup season this year um, on. Um, they're actually like I was before I came here, I was cutting tubes and <laughs> tacking swing arms, you know, that sort of thing. So um, and we have a pretty aggressive program developing on the all new downhill bike over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And um, these this that bike is finally um you know will become a production model so besides the bikes being built as prototypes and in kind of vetting out the design in parallel there's a a actual production version of it being developed Mm -hmm. so that's pretty exciting and we've um approached that as a real kind of a more of a learn-it-all approach versus a know-it-all approach um and even though we've had a, a long history of, um, you know, from day one building full suspension bikes, I don't ever want to claim or think that I know it all about what works best. Or so, you know, we always use racing as to influence our product and for, you know, testing and development at a highest level. And then it trickles down mm-hmm. through the rest of the line. And so we've kind of, in the last couple of years, have done a reset and we're revisiting. And so out of this building this new downhill bike we've learned so much and for the first time you know in the last couple of years we started using telemetry equipment on the bikes and data acquisition and learning to use that and read it and turn it into real world results mm-hmm. that sort of thing and um you know about halfway through the world cup season last year you started seeing the intense riders on the podium again you know and so pretty excited about this year and the new bike and everything we learned from that Mm-hmm. you're going to start seeing it throughout the whole product line, even the e-bikes. Uh, yeah, I think isn't your uh, mission statement, racing is our true north? Yeah, and honestly, I almost, um, you were even evolving that a little bit to where it's more race-inspired. Um, and one of the, the big things, um, and it's really, you know, kind of where I come into the picture and is a lot of the heart and soul of the brand and um, the DNA is how we can blend artistry with engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like the craftsman approach to it. But, you know, we're, we're not only doing um, computer design and FEA analysis and, you know, all this like, but we're, we're still very hands on that we're actually build bikes still you know on prototypes and that sort of thing so there's a bit of an analog digital approach mm-hmm. and, and i think that's part of the secret sauce too that that works and we've seen that happen in the music industry for example you know everything went digital and it got a little sterile sounding in a certain <laughs> way and then they had to get out you know get back to some of the old equipment and you know warm make it a little more um, down to earth and warm and mm-hmm. guitarists started playing tube amps again you know and things like that Okay, we're just about out of time, but uh, in closing, my final question is, you know, you've founded this brand, created a very successful bicycle company. What part of your job still gets you the most excited? Well, um, 
I would say the part I just was talking about, yeah, the hands-on mm -hmm. creative aspect of it. And, um, you know, I've been building bike frames for years and um, I probably have, I have my own workflow for doing it. It's very different probably than from anywhere else, but it's almost probably people who've watched or um, experienced the way I put a frame together, for example, compare it maybe more to a sculptor you know, than a fabricator even. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my workbench, my easel, it's always a mess because, you know, there's like I have a lot of things around me when I'm building a bike that inspire me in different ways. And they're part of the process. And so um, even though, you know, the product, there's a lot more people involved in it. Um, I think a there is a certain spirit that that brings to the development of a product, you know, mm -hmm. and um, in the end, you know, the, the finished product is a sum of the parts, really. And there's a lot of great people working together to mm -hmm. achieve that along the way. You know, we got a great um, team of engineers and designers and um, people that are working at all levels in the company. Um, Probably one of the things I'm actually the most most proud of, though, with Intense in the recent years, and we've gone through a bit of a restructuring, is that we've put a lot of energy into providing the what I like to call the Intense experience, really good customer service, parts and accessories that are available. Like if your bike needs something, you can get it anywhere mm -hmm. in the world in a quick and easy fashion. Um, you know, some of those things that maybe in the early years of Intense, you know, looking at kind of sins of the past, we always put performance ahead of everything and we forgot about stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. it reminds me of Porsche and Ferrari in the early days, you know, very passion driven brands. But if you were in North America and you had one and you needed a part or a repair, it might have been hard to get. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we've really turned a lot of that sort of thing around. So and growing up into being like a real full service brand besides, you know, that passion brand. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I lied. I have one more question. <laughs> <laughs> you, you talked about uh, prototyping a new frame or, or it always starts with alloy, right? When you are designing it and building the alloy prototype, knowing that you're eventually going to produce a carbon version, do you have to construct it differently because carbon will weigh less and have a different flex character? Well, honestly, back in the day, like when I started, um, this is before any CAD design or anything like that. And, and in a sense, people always joke because, yeah, you used, I used to call it the CAD was cardboard-aided design instead <laughs> of computer. Because yeah, yeah. literally the first mountain bike that I designed and built – I cut out this, you know, one-to-one -one cardboard links and, you know, and, and stapled them together, made little hinges and stuff and activated and actually did real world because that's where it was mm -hmm. and that's where I was in it. It was that rudimentary at the time um, to figure out leverage ratios and wheel paths and all that sort of stuff. Um, as computers came along, it, it evolved quite a bit, but... Um, but anyway, um, that whole process is, is very different now, mm -hmm. for sure. But have you built a bike out of alloy, a prototype, ridden it and said, okay, this is great? And then when you made it carbon, it worked way differently? Yeah, to, to finish the, the question, um, 
now nowadays we actually uh, approach it a little different. There's a little more market survey work done, mm -hmm. you know, for the segment, what the bike wants and needs. Um, you bring the customer into the process a little more mm -hmm. so that you can hit that target better. There's even um, more ID work done up front, like um, uh, basic initial uh, design and ID work to get, like, this is... Um, our ID direction we're going from ID, I mean, industrial design direction that we want to carry through the line. Um, more and more, again, with the Intense product, you're going to see, like when you see an Intense bike, you'll know it's an Intense just because of certain features mm -hmm. that are visual features. And as we know, um, you know, that first impression, that's usually the magnet that pulls you into a product. You know, you look at it and you go, whoa, that thing looks fast or sexy or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so that's really key. And that's a, that's a big part of the intense design is that emotional response that the product creates when you see it mm -hmm. first and then you ride it. You know, it's a formula. So you always got to get a good balance of that. But uh, that is a key part of it. So these days we do a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're trying to refine all these areas and improve our processes. And that is a big part of it. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of times uh, a brand or a product, you know, will work really well and performs really well, but it looks ugly or um, like it looks broken or something. And sometimes something works really well, you know, you can go either way, you know, um, it can look great, but it doesn't perform that well. Mm -hmm. But you'll always, it's want to achieve the balance when it comes to the product and design. And so we do a lot more of that. Um, and a lot of times, if it, we know it's going to only be offered in carbon, the alloy bike, um, to, to really answer your question, is more to vet out like the, the kinematics and the geometry and stuff and mm -hmm. not so much the ID. Now, personally, when I build it, if I know what it's going to look like in carbon, I always try to make the alloy bike look kind of close to it mm -hmm. in some way um, because it's still a rider perception if something looks ugly or broken already there's this negative response and kind of way you look at it or feel about it even mm -hmm. yeah cool well jeff i appreciate you taking some time out of your day walking away from the uh, fab shop to come down here and do this with us um hope you guys enjoyed the uh, yoshimura midweek podcast with Jeff Steber of Intense Cycles. Thanks for watching and listening. Thanks, everyone.